It's every parent's worst nightmare. And it does not have to occur at night for it to be a nightmare. It can happen anytime, day or night. And when it does happen, you are immediately reminded that we live in a fallen, broken world. When it happens, you are reminded that even little things can cause great pain. What is every parent's worst nightmare? Stepping on a Lego brick. Stepping on a Lego brick with bare feet is one of the worst things that a parent can face. And it is especially a nightmare when it happens at night. In the hallway, or in the living room, or in the bathroom, or in the kitchen, and in the dark. If you have kids and you don't own Legos yet, don't. Don't even let these things into your house. Because mark my words, mark my words, the day will come when one of these little bricks will let you know that a small colored piece of plastic can take down a grown man or woman. Mark my words, if you let Legos enter your house, the day will come when you will step on one with bare feet and as you slowly make your way to the ground, before your face hits the carpet, you will remember this sermon. And even if you don't completely fall and hit the ground, your body will contort into positions that even experienced yoga instructors cannot do. Did you know that in the Greek language, in the Greek Bible, the word lego means to say or to speak? I find that interesting because when you step on a lego, you might be surprised at what you say or speak. When you step on a lego brick, you might say or speak something that you are ashamed of. You never know what's going to come out. In fact, I stepped on something two days ago and I thought it was a Lego brick and I thought, what are the odds? Then I'm gonna be talking about stepping on Lego bricks and I just did. Well, I looked down, first I stepped on it and then I, I said something in Greek or Hebrew, I'm not sure, maybe like the Greek word for complaining, which is gone goose moan or that word in Judges 12 where they say, say the word shibboleth. So as I stepped on something, I did that gone goose moan shibboleth kind of noise that just came out, this guttural gargling sound came out of my mouth, but it wasn't a Lego, it was an earbud, which is what kids move on to when they leave Legos behind. They move on to iPods and iPads and iPhones and they have these little earbuds, these little headphone things that they stick in their ears and thank God they're moving on and the trend is now like Beats headphones. They're much bigger and larger so you can see them. Well, I stepped on an earbud so it's becoming my new nemesis. The power of a little colored piece of plastic. It can take down a grown man or woman just like that. Jesus is kind of like Lego bricks. Jesus can get the same reaction as a Lego brick. The gospel message is like stepping on a Lego brick because Lego bricks can do one of two things. One, they can be joined together to form something, to build something, or two, they can take down grown human beings. That's the only two things that Lego bricks do. And the gospel is just like that. 
Jesus is just like Lego bricks because when people encounter Jesus, one of two things happens. One, they're either united to him by faith, they're cemented to him. This is called being in union with Christ or they will stumble over him. And that's Peter's point in our passage today. He's going to let his readers know that people either connect to Jesus, they're cemented to him, they're connected to him like a Lego brick, or they trip over him and stumble as if they had stepped on a Lego brick in the middle of the night in the hallway. And for those who do connect to Jesus by faith, Peter is going to tell us that the honor is ours now. We receive the benefits of the pleasure that God the Father has for his son Jesus. We are now the recipients of that pleasure and it's all because of his son Jesus. But those who stumble over Jesus when they come into contact with him, they are left to live in the shame of their sin and rebellion forever. And so here's our big idea today. Jesus took your shame so you could spread his fame. Jesus took your shame and guilt away. The guilt that you have, the shame that you have because you sin, because you're a sinner, because you break God's law through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has taken that away. You are now in union with him so that you could go spread his fame, so that you could go declare his worth to the nations. That's what Peter will tell his readers in this section. We can now offer acceptable sacrifices to God with no sense of shame about our sins. No sense of shame whatsoever. We can now offer acceptable sacrifices to God and it's all because of his son Jesus. We can come to God now and not be ashamed of our sins because of Jesus. And when that good news gets down into the nooks and crannies of our hearts, the natural response is to declare his praises, to spread the fame of Jesus' glorious name. Now, look at verses four and five, and let me show you where I'm getting all that. Verse four, hear the word of the Lord. As you come to him, A living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As you come to him. Peter says, as you come to him, to Jesus, that phrase right there, as you come to him, is pregnant with gospel truth. This is why God is good, because we can come to him. We can approach him. God is good because he has made a way for rebellious sinners to enter into his presence and not be wiped out. Peter just said in verse three, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And so here's how you can know that the Lord is good. You can come to him. 
You can come into his white hot presence, his white hot holiness. You, a rebel and a sinner, can come into his presence and not be consumed. There's all the proof that you need that the Lord is good because he has made a way for sinners to come to him and that way is through his son Jesus. But notice how Peter describes Jesus here, the one that we come to. He says Jesus is a living stone. It's a strange picture, isn't it? A living stone. In fact, in the next verse, Peter will say that believers are living stones. So what does this mean? What truth lies behind the imagery of living stones? Here's what Peter means. Peter calls Jesus a living stone, and it's an allusion to his resurrection, that he came back from the dead. And because we as believers are now in union with Christ, because we are cemented to him, connected to him like a Lego brick, we have been born again, he says in chapter one, verse three, according to God's great mercy, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Being in union with Christ, connected to Christ, means that we are united to his life that he lived, the death that he died, and his resurrection. So Jesus is a living stone. He came back from the dead. He was resurrected by the power of the Spirit of God, but he's not just any stone. As we'll see in a moment, Peter will tell us that Jesus is the cornerstone of God's building and we as living stones are connected to him we are cemented to him as the church as God's temple as God's building but Peter also says that Jesus the living stone was rejected we know from the gospels that the Jewish religious leaders in Jesus day rejected him they did not believe he was the promised Messiah they did not believe he was the one that the prophets spoke of who would come and be a redeemer and a savior so they rejected him and like all men who do not believe in Jesus they stumble over him as if they had stepped on a Lego brick they want nothing to do with him they reject him so in man's eyes unbelievers do not see the value and the worth of Jesus. And that's why they think you're crazy that you worship him. And that's why they think you're crazy that you carve out time every day on the Sabbath on Sunday to come and worship him because they reject him. They don't see his value. They don't see his worth. They don't see that he is a treasure. They don't see that he is the fountain of living water. And if sinners would come to him and drink and drink and drink, then they would be satisfied with all that God the Father is for us in his son Jesus. They don't see that, so they reject it. But in God's eyes, Peter says that Jesus is chosen and precious, or chosen and honored. We'll come back to these words in a moment, chosen and honored. But in verse 5, Peter says that we as living stones are being built up by the Lord. So God is the one who is doing the building here. God is the sovereign one who does the building up of his church. God is building his church, his spiritual house. And God in his sovereignty was behind the building up of a Danish toy company many, many years ago. 
when Ole Christensen was trying to sell his handmade toys, he thought the struggling company needed a new name. He knew it needed to be short. He knew it needed to be memorable, just a couple of words or something. He wanted the, toy, the new name to the toy company to convey the idea of playing well. He wanted kids to know, you can play well with my toys. And so he wrote down the phrase, playing well, in Spanish, which is ligot, or ligot. And it was from the words ligot, L-E-G-G-O-D-T, that Ole Christensen came up with the name Lego, a very suitable and memorable name. But what Ole Christensen didn't know was that the word Lego in Latin means I put together. And that's exactly what Peter is saying here. God is putting together his people like living stones, like Lego bricks. God is building his church up like a kid builds a structure with Lego bricks. And we are being built up like Lego bricks as we come to him, as Peter says in verse 4. Individually, we are being built up as we come to Jesus, as we read his word, as we pray, as we fast, as we individually engage in the spiritual disciplines but even more so, Peter has in mind the corporate communal aspect of being built up. We, as a church body, are being built up by the Lord like Lego bricks. As we gather together each Sabbath day, and God's doing it through the very ordinary means of grace. Hearing his word preached each week, celebrating the Lord's Supper as we will do today, seeing and then remembering your baptism, and also through church discipline. That's how God is sovereignly building his church today. And what are we called to do then as this spiritual Lego house that God is building we are called, Peter says, to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Look at verse five again. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It was this passage that was so dear to Martin Luther during the Reformation when he stressed the priesthood of the believer, that each individual believer may come to God based on Christ's work for us and that we don't have to go through some priest, that we can come into God's presence. And so now all believers may approach God anytime we want to, all because of Jesus. In the Old Testament, only the priests could offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And only the high priest could actually go into God's presence, into the Holy of Holies in the temple. And he could only go in on one day a year, the Day of Atonement. And it was only men born of the tribe of Levi. It was only the Levites who could be priests. So it was very restrictive in that sense. But now, every believer in Jesus Christ... Man, woman, or child, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, every believer in Jesus Christ can now come and offer sacrifices to a holy God. And Peter calls the sacrifices that we make spiritual sacrifices. So Peter has in mind, as we'll see in verse 9 in a moment, he has worship in mind. 
declaring God's worth, singing about how great our God is. But spiritual sacrifices are not merely limited to singing songs. It includes all that we do. All of our life is to be worshipped. All of our life is to be lived quorum Deo before the face of God. This is Paul's point in Romans 12, 1, when he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of what? Worship. All of our life is to be worship. Everything that we do, everything that we do in our lives is to be worship. But how can it be that we as sinners who sin all the time, how in the world can it be that we can offer acceptable sacrifices to God. Even our worship and our best gifts are tainted with sin. Even the songs that we were just singing moments ago are tainted with sin. Even our best gifts, the giving of our tithes and our offerings, our serving, all of our worship and our best gifts, even those are tainted with sin and self. So how is it that we could offer a sacrifice to God when our sacrifices are tainted with sin because we're sinners and we sin all the time? They're acceptable to God because they are made acceptable through Jesus. They are made acceptable because Jesus has made us acceptable to a holy God. Because we are in union with Christ, his perfect life, his perfect record of obedience to God's law, his sinless life, that is now Ours. That is now our record. So we can come into God's presence because we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. We have been imputed and given and credited this alien foreign righteousness that we could never muster up on our own. No matter how hard we try to be good, we could never be good enough to get that righteousness. And God comes and he gives it to us. So now we are righteous in God's eyes. And that means that there is no more shame and no more guilt because of our sins. We now stand as believers perfect in God's eyes. Blameless in God's eyes. Therefore, what is the appropriate response to all of this goodness that God has bestowed on us. We worship, we offer sacrifices, we sing, we lift our voices, and we declare his worth. In other words, Jesus took your shame so you could spread his fame. Jesus took the shame and guilt of your sin away through his life, death, and resurrection. You are now in union with him. So how do you respond to that? You worship. You spread his fame. You declare his praises. You sing about him. You talk about him. You tell people about him. And now Peter will explain why this is true for believers by directing his readers to God's word. Peter will explain from the Old Testament that believers never have to experience the shame of their sins anymore. Believers never have to experience the shame of their sins anymore. Peter will quote the prophet Isaiah to prove his point that we can stand before a holy God and offer acceptable sacrifices that declare his fame and glory. And we can do that 
not being bogged down by the shame and the guilt of our sin, we can do all that because Jesus has made it possible. Look at verse six. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. Peter quotes Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 here to show the connection between believers and Jesus and what being in union with Christ secures for us. In Isaiah's day, the religious leaders scoffed at Isaiah's warning of judgment against Jerusalem. Isaiah spoke of invading armies that would destroy the city if the nation did not repent. But the religious leaders basically said to this, Yeah, 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 Isaiah, we have made a covenant and a treaty with death. We have an agreement with Sheol, with the grave. When armies pass through our land, they will not harm us because we've made a deal. We have a contract with death. We'll be safe. We won't die. And Isaiah responded to that by saying that Yahweh, the sovereign Lord, laid a foundation stone in Zion, in Jerusalem, and the only thing that would survive the onslaught of armies would be the temple that God built. Peter is showing us how Isaiah's prophecy was fulfilled by Jesus, and he's showing us the benefits that come to believers because we are in union with Christ. The only people that will survive the onslaught of the army of the Lord on the day of the Lord are those who are connected to Christ. The only people who will survive are those who are cemented to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Peter says, is the cornerstone of God's building. Notice that Peter has already used Isaiah's language in verse four. Jesus is God's chosen and precious cornerstone. The word precious is better translated honored. So Jesus is God's chosen and honored cornerstone. Now the cornerstone of the foundation in those days would be the first stone that was put in place in the building. It was the stone that was placed in the corner of a foundation. It would ensure that a building was square and stable. It was the critical stone that ensured that everything was perfect. And Peter says Jesus is the cornerstone of God's building the church. Jesus is the one who ensures that we are perfect, that we stand blameless in God's eyes. And that's why Peter, quoting Isaiah, says that whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. We trust in the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and when we do that, we will never, ever, ever experience shame. The shame of our guilt and our sins no longer have a hold over our lives. As Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? 
in Christ Jesus. Paul's talking about being in union with Christ. There's no condemnation for our sins, Grace, because now we are in union with Christ. That means that we will never, ever, ever be put to shame. That means that God will never come to us and say, shame, shame, shame on you for what you have done. I can't believe you did that. Shame on you. God will never say that to us because of our perfect cornerstone, Jesus, who has secured that we are in union with him, cemented to him forever. And that also means that even when we stand before God one day, he will not shame us. Tom Schreiner says, Just as Christ is the chosen and honored one of God and was so honored at his resurrection, so too believers will be vindicated on the last day. What is true of Christ is also true of his people. They will not experience the embarrassment of judgment, but the glory of approval. The phrase, will never be ashamed, therefore, is another way of saying they will be honored. We will not experience the embarrassment of judgment when we stand before the Lord one day. But on the contrary, we will experience the glory of approval. We will not experience the embarrassment of judgment, Grace. We will not have a movie of our sinful lives played before us as we stand before God. That's good news, isn't it? That's proof that God is good. Aren't you glad that when you come in here on Sunday morning, we don't have a movie of your previous week rolling up on the screen? Because if we did that, this place would be empty because none of us would ever come back because we would all be ashamed of the things that we've done and said throughout the week. And when you stand before God, he's not going to break out film for you to watch. That's good news to this sinner. Because I have done and said and thought some pretty wicked, evil things in my life. And I still do. I've said some things that I'm embarrassed about. I've done some things that I'm embarrassed and ashamed of. I've said, thought, and done so many, so, so, so many things that I am flat out ashamed of. Awful things, embarrassing things. And the good news of the gospel is that that record of mine is gone. It's gone. It doesn't exist anywhere except up here. It's gone. It's not in God's record book. It's only in my mind and in the minds of others. It is gone. Poof. It's gone because I am cemented to Jesus in union with him, united by faith to Jesus, the perfect cornerstone. And so is yours if you are in union with Christ. All of the awful, embarrassing things that you have done that you are ashamed of, if you trust in Jesus, they are erased from your file. The hard drive has been wiped clean. And now when God sees you, he sees 
his son, Jesus. And tell me when God looks at his son, Jesus, does not his heart start to beat fast because he loves his son? And that's how God feels about you, Christian because you are in union with Christ and therefore you will never be put to shame. Instead, because of Jesus, you will be honored. The honor is yours now. It's unbelievable, but we have moved from experiencing shame to being honored. We've been transferred out of the darkness and the shame and the guilt of our sin, and we have been transferred into the glorious, marvelous light of Jesus. That's what Peter will say next. Look at verse seven. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So what Peter is saying is that there are two kinds of people in this world, those who believe in Jesus and those who don't. For those who don't, they stumble over Jesus, like someone stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night, in the hallway, in the dark. They come into contact with Jesus, and they say things with their mouth, like, get away from me. I don't want the gospel message. I don't believe God's word. I don't believe the law that condemns me. I'm okay, I reject, I don't need Jesus. And they will be left in the shame of their sins forever. But for those who do believe in Jesus and are united to him by faith, they receive honor. Listen again to this good news. So the honor is for you who believe. Can't believe it says that. Can't believe it says that. So the honor is for you who believe. What beautiful words for sinners. What marvelous words for people who know their sin and rebellion. Who know they break God's commandments who know we have done 10 million things that we are ashamed of. We are not left in the shame of our sin. Instead, Peter says, we receive honor. The word honor in verse seven is related to the same word that Peter used to describe Jesus in verse four and in verse six. It's the word the ESV translated as precious, but it's better translated as honored. The same word that Peter used two times to describe Jesus, he now uses to describe believers because believers are in union with Christ. Since Jesus is God's chosen and honored stone, his chosen and honored cornerstone, and since we as believers are in union with him, we are now chosen and honored by God. It's amazing. This is why the word gospel means good news. Because it's good news to sinners like us. This is why Peter just said a few verses before this that God is good. So what Peter is saying here in verse 7 is that the honor that God the Father bestowed on his son Jesus that honor now falls on us because we are in union with Christ. The honor that God the Father showered on his beloved son because of his perfect life of obedience to the law of God 
We can now get in on that. We can get in on the honor that God the Father bestowed on his son Jesus for his perfect life. That's ours now, to be recipients of. Just as Peter said in verse four and in verse six that Jesus was chosen and honored in God's eyes, it's all because of Jesus. We can now offer acceptable sacrifices to God because of his son Jesus. We are now accepted because of Jesus. We are now chosen, as Peter will say in verse 9, just like Jesus. That is amazing. You should read this passage and hit the brakes and say, that sounds too good to be true. Absolutely. Ed Clowney said this. Peter now spells out the wonder of God's salvation. The delight that the Father has in his Son is given to us. As Christ is precious to the Father, so we are made precious. Literally, to you that believe is the honor. The delight that God the Father has in his Son, Jesus, is given to us. The delight that God the Father has in his Son, when he said, you are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased, that is now ours because of Jesus. It's given to us as Christ is precious to God the Father, so we are made precious. This is nothing less than the sweet, pure gospel milk that Peter wants his readers to crave. This is nothing less than the goodness of God. This is proof that God is good. Will you taste and see it today? As I told you several months ago in a sermon, because we are in union with Christ, this is true of us. Sinclair Ferguson explains, in short, what it means to be in union with Christ. It's as if all the medals and honors of Christ are pinned to your chest and all of heaven salutes you. What does it mean to be in union with Christ, connected to him, cemented to him, connected to him like Lego bricks? It's as if all the medals and honors of Christ have been pinned to your chest and now all of heaven salutes you. All of this is proof that Jesus took your shame so that you could spread his fame. Because when that good news lands on your heart, you turn around and send the honor back to him. The honor is ours now, Peter says. We are accepted in God's eyes, even though we're sinners. So we honor Jesus now when we come into God's presence and when we offer sacrifices. We know that the whole reason that we can offer sacrifices without shame is because Jesus took our shame on the cross. And that honors Jesus when we realize that we have the honor of serving him because he served us first. Understand this, Grace. Jesus is honored when we put the spotlight on him. He is honored big time when we put the spotlight on his life and death and resurrection, when we focus on him, when we talk about him, when we preach about him, when the messages in our children's classes are all about Jesus, he is honored. When the messages in the youth group are all about Jesus, he is honored. When the messages in our great seminary classes and our Sunday school classes are all about Jesus, he is honored which is why we want to make him the point of the sermon. 
So please, when you leave, don't say, that was a great sermon, Pastor. Please, when you leave, say, what a great Savior. Because he is the point. And when we put the spotlight on him, he is mightily glorified. He is mightily honored in our lives. When we come into God's presence and we offer sacrifices and we sing and we give thanks and we point out that the whole reason we can come into God's presence and offer sacrifices and sing and give thanks is because of Jesus, then Jesus is mightily glorified. When we show up into God's presence and we say, you and I both know, Father, that the only reason I have being here is your son. When we can do that, he is mightily glorified. When you can show up and say, I have no business whatsoever standing before you now because I'm a sinner and a rebel. It's only because of your son. And Jesus is mightily glorified. And God's heart beats fast because you bring up his son. Jesus is honored when we recognize that the whole reason that we have the honor of sitting at God's table is all because of him. Jesus is honored when we realize that the honor that we have of coming into God's presence is all because of him. When we put the spotlight on Jesus, he is honored. When we come into God's presence and we know that we have done 10 million shameful things, And we know that we have said 10 million shameful words. And we know that we have thought 10 million shameful thoughts. And yet that shame is now gone because of Jesus. Guess who gets the glory? Jesus does. But this is not true for the unbeliever. They stumble over Jesus. They are offended by Jesus. It's like stepping on a Lego brick. They come into contact with Jesus and they want anything to do with Jesus. So they have rejected him. So the unbeliever, Peter says, does not obey the word. They do not obey the gospel. So they stumble and they do not have the honor of coming into God's presence. Hence, they will live with the shame of their sins for eternity. And they were destined to this because they are not one of God's elect. Peter says they were destined to disobey the word. But this is not true for believers. How does Peter describe believers in chapter one, verse 22? He said they purified their souls by their obedience to the truth, their obedience to the gospel message. Believers are purified when they obey the gospel, meaning when they believe the good news of the gospel. That means then, as Christians, as believers, as disciples, we have been purified, we have been washed, we have been cleansed from all of our sins, all of the sins that we are ashamed of. Just like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Those people who have not been credited with the righteousness of Jesus. He says, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul says, this is what some of you were like before you came to know Christ. But then he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. 
So the unbeliever will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will not be welcome at God's table. They do not have the honor of sitting in God's presence because they disobey the word, they disobey the gospel. But as for believers, we have the honor of coming into God's presence, of enjoying fellowship with him, of sitting at his table right next to him. We have that honor now all because of Jesus. In stark contrast to unbelievers, we, even though we're sinners, simultaneously justified in sinners, even though we're sinners, we are now accepted by God. Listen to this pure spiritual milk that Peter speaks of in verses 9 through 10. Listen in as he once more gives evidence that God is good. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are now God's chosen people. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood who can stand in God's holy presence and not be destroyed. We belong to God now. We're now a chosen race of priests who belong to God and now we can stand in his presence and offer acceptable sacrifices through Jesus Christ and declare his praise. And declaring his praise is what those people do who have not got what they deserved. That's mercy. Not getting what you deserve. And when you realize, I did not get what I deserve because I'm a sinner and a a rebel. God did not give me what I deserve. When you come to grips with that, that you can now come into his presence, even though you deserve punishment and death and hell forever, then you come into his presence and you worship him because now you have the honor. So we return the honor to the one who had mercy on us. We return the honor to the one who called us out of darkness out of the darkness of our sins. It's in the dark where shame dwells. We hide the things that we are ashamed of, don't we? We do it in the dark. Now we've been called out of that darkness, out of that shame, into his glorious, marvelous light. Puritan Thomas Watson said, it is one thing for a traitor to be pardoned and another thing to be brought into favor. Sin rent us off from God. Christ's blood doth cement us to God. It's one thing for a traitor to be pardoned and another thing to be brought into favor. Sin rent us off from God, separated us from God. But Christ's blood doth cement us to God now. And now we are in union with Christ, connected to him like Lego bricks, cemented to him. We belong to him now. We have been cemented to God through the blood of Jesus. We were rebels and enemies of God, born that way. We are sinners. But not only have we been pardoned, we have actually been brought into God's favor. All because of Jesus. And the proof of that is right here at this table, the Lord's table. We celebrate communion with God. We celebrate that Jesus, what Jesus has done for us right here in the elements at this table. This table is a reminder to Christians that we are in union with Christ, not because of anything that we do or anything we don't do, 
It's all because of what Jesus has done. This table puts the spotlight where it belongs, which is on Jesus. And when the spotlight is on Jesus, he is mightily glorified. So let's pray and prepare our hearts to eat and drink and receive grace. Let's prepare our hearts so that once again we may taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, help us and heal us. We are stubborn, blind people who repeatedly and willfully stray away from you. Like children who don't want their parents to hold their hands while walking through a dangerous city, we will not stay near you. In our blindness, even our ability to confess has been distorted. Some of us are emotionally unaffected by the fact that we are helpless sinners without your mercy, indifferent to the cost of our rebellion. We speak words of confession out of principle, out of duty, or out of habit, but rarely out of a deep awareness of our need and helpless state. Others of us are so undone by our habitual falls into sin that we can barely look up to you for help. Lost in the anxiety of our unbelief, we speak words of confession out of fear, out of desperation, out of hopelessness, but seldom out of confidence that you love us and have invited us into the blessedness of repentance and forgiveness. Yet Christ has recognized our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our souls. This blood that speaks righteousness for us gives us confidence to confess our failures to you today. Where we have failed to approach you with honest, sincere, and confident words, Christ stands in our place, laying before you his heart in truth and passion with no sin or mixed motives. As he hung on the cross, tortured for our iniquities, the sorrows that were rightfully ours were given to him in fullest measure. Your steadfast love surrounds us because your steadfast love was taken away from him. What a precious, atoning, ransoming love. Loving Father, Create in us clean hearts that are truly broken for our remaining struggles with sin, yet utterly confident that your love is more than enough to reach the foulest sinner who trusts in you. Give us this trust in great abundance, Lord, as we continue to wrestle through this earthly journey. Help us to sing with confidence that Jesus truly is our only boast. And when he returns to take his ransomed children home, let us sing anew, hallelujah. What a savior, in Jesus' name, amen.